Welcome back in. Brady Farkas show here on this Wednesday, this snowy Wednesday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Joining us now as he does every Wednesday at this time, Freddie Coleman, ESPN Radio. Freddie and Fitzsimmons, weeknights, 9 p.m. Freddie, how are you? I'm good, brother. How's everything? And usually when you say snowy Wednesday, you can say it all the time in winter. But here in Connecticut, we haven't had too many snowy Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sundays. <laughs> yeah, it's finally looking and feeling. Well, I don't know. It's still a little warm out for uh, for Vermont in January, but it's finally looking like winter. Yeah, finally. But I think it's staying up there in Vermont and Maine and New Hampshire. It hasn't filtered its way down to Connecticut because <laughs> every time we get any kind of snow, then the rain comes and washes it away. Yeah, for sure, and that certainly has stunk. But, uh, hey, let's move to the Patriots' news at hand. They, after all of the speculation, they did hire Bill O'Brien as the offensive coordinator. I've been skeptical. I've been iffy on it. Now, you know, now that it's happened, I have no choice. I'm just going to be optimistic moving forward. What's the reason? What, what, what to you is the biggest reason I should be excited now? Because his name's not Matt Patricia, and I think that's the reason anybody should be excited. <laughs> that Bill O'Brien is the offensive coordinator. And let's look at his track record, what he was able to do offensively. Of course, everybody knows what he, he was never, ever afraid to challenge Tom Brady if he believed Tom Brady did the right play and make the right read or made a bad throw. He was not going to be a willing participant in Tom Brady having that control of church and state when it came to the offense. And he was able to do that at Penn State. He did that at the Houston Texans with Deshaun Watson and that offense as well. And look what he did in Alabama, bringing them into the modern age of modern football and college football with the spread offense and four and five wide receivers that Nick Saban was the complete opposite of that when he first got to Alabama. So if anybody can get the best out of Mac Jones, it's a guy that has a proven track record as a guy that can call plays and put your quarterback and receivers and offensive skill position players in the right position. You know, I look at playoff teams this year, you know, Seattle, the Giants. There's a lot of teams, I think, that were good, not great. So when we talk about how far away the Patriots are, here's where I land. I think the Patriots are not far at all away from being a playoff team. I actually think building up to be an NFL playoff team isn't all that difficult, but I do think they are far away from being a Super Bowl contender. Do you read them the same way? Oh, com completely. You and I are both in that same line of thinking with the Patriots and more than ever before, look at the teams that they're going to have to deal with that aren't the Bengals or the Bills or the Chiefs or the 49ers or the Eagles. You look at the Cowboys, even with all their troubles, they won 12 games in the regular season on the NFC side. But just sticking with the AFC, you got Jacksonville, they're on the come up because Trevor Lawrence is a quarterback coach and a quarterback guru when it comes to Doug Peterson being his head coach. The Chargers as their quarterback. Can't forget about them. If Sean Payton takes the Denver Broncos job, you know he's going to make Russell Wilson that offense better with the kind of skill position people that they're going to have. Pittsburgh with Kenny, their quarterback. Got to worry about them. Lamar Jackson, not if or when he signs the Baltimore Ravens. Got to worry about them. They give him another guys on the outside that can help him. There's so many teams that the Patriots are probably in the same boat with below Buffalo, Kansas City, and Cincinnati. That makes it exponentially harder not just to be a playoff team, but a team that once you get in there can win one or two games and get to the AFC Championship game. You know, stick it. My last question on football, actually, is I heard something interesting uh, last night. Richard Sherman hosts his podcast, and I caught a clip of it on social media, and he said, I've got news for fans. Your favorite team is not always trying to win the Super Bowl. And I thought that was interesting, and I started thinking about it. And I think he's right. There are teams that certainly don't spend in this year or – or whatever, but I think by and large, NFL teams are trying to win at a much greater clip 
than baseball, basketball, or hockey teams. Do you see it that way too? Completely, because the NFL ownership group, it's to me, it's like the country club group where you don't want to walk into the country club, Brady, and everybody looks at you and say, oh, poor so-and-so. He's got this team, he's got this money, but they don't win. You don't want to be that guy. Baseball owners don't care about that because they make so much money. Basketball owners are kind of different because the players control the league, not as much as people think they do, but just enough that that perception is going to be there. And hockey is just a whole different animal where you got a lot of old-school money trying to make things work in a new-school way. But when it comes to NFL ownership groups, there's always that look of everybody going, okay, where's the upper tier of owners when it comes to winning, when it comes to losing? And you don't want to be constantly in that lower tier when it comes to losing franchises. So there are plenty of owners that don't want to be that person. They don't want to be in that tier where people look at them and say they're never going to win. That's why you see a lot of owners and NFL teams make a lot of desperate moves when it comes to coaches, when it comes to free agents, when it comes to draft choices, because they want to matter. And how you matter in the NFL how close are you to winning a championship or how much you are contending for a championship or how many championships are you able to win as an ownership group in the NFL? Freddie Coleman, ESPN Radio, Freddie and Fitzsimmons, weeknights, 9 p.m. Freddie, let's move to the NBA. Celtics have lost two straight. They've been very, very banged up over these last couple of games. Bad loss last night against Miami. But Jason Tatum said earlier this week that he might need wrist surgery in the offseason season. Mm-hmm. Now, I wouldn't say that I'm worried about it necessarily, given how well he's played this year, but if you were Tatum, would you start to pare back on maybe not even the games you're playing, but the minutes you're playing? Boy, that's a good question, and you're exactly right, because Jason Tatum, I don't think anybody should question his heart and competitiveness because we've seen what he's been able to do being the leader of this franchise when it comes to the Boston Celtics. And when he put it out there, and I saw the same thing too, Brady, that he might have to have surgery. That tells me that he's going to have surgery to make sure that whatever pain he's playing through, he's going to have to manage it as best as he can. But I don't want to stop a guy from being competitive. And that's where Joe Mazzula, the head coach, has got to come in and say, hey, we need you more in April, May, and June. Not saying we don't need you now, but we need you at a full tilt boogie when the money is going to be there for us to win a championship. And we need you when it comes to winning time in the NBA. So that's where the Celtics come in and where also you got to manage his minutes not just so much in practice, but also in game situations and make sure that he's healthy at the end of games. And if things are out of hand one way or the other, then you just sit him down and rest him to make sure you don't add any extra stress that he has to deal with having a wrist injury that is going to need some surgery in the offseason. You know, I look at it right now, and the Celtics coming into tonight are three and a half games up on Philadelphia for the top seed. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, is Tatum playing all these minutes because the C's want to get the number one seed, and that's really important? Or is he playing all these minutes because he really wants to win the MVP? And I hope that it is the former and not the latter. But why can't it be both? Because I'm a big believer that if you want to be the MVP, he's not doing it in a selfish way. He's not just putting up numbers just to get everybody's attention because you're always going to be considered for the MVP based on what you do for your team and what they're able to do. We've seen that time and time again. So I think you can have both because I've seen both happen. Steph Curry put up great numbers his MVP years, and nobody said he was being too selfish going for the MVP. And, oh, by the way, Golden State was among the best teams that we saw in history in the NBA. Same thing with LeBron James. Same thing with Isaiah Thomas when he was an MVP candidate. And he was putting up outstanding numbers, but no one looked at him and said he's just putting up numbers to be the MVP. He made the Boston Celtics better until they ran into better teams in the NBA playoffs. So you can do both because the MVP race, and it depends on the criteria in the minds of those who vote on these things, but it's going to be about what kind of numbers you put up that not only help yourself individually, 
but help your team collectively. So you can't do both as you're Jason Tatum. You know, it's interesting. For years, we talked about how the West was so much better than the East. Are we ready to say that the balance of power has completely shifted? Because I look at the West, and there are a lot of teams that are just seeming to be very, very average. You know, and I know they're, you know the Pelicans have slipped as they've dealt with injuries to Zion and Brandon Ingram, uh, Brandon Ingram, et cetera. But the West seems to be increasingly average, and the East seems to be where all the really good teams are at. Well, I won't say average when it comes to a loaded Western Conference because each and every night there's no such thing as an easy out in the Western Conference. You look at Oklahoma City, how many teams are they scared to death in the Western Eastern Conference and they're not a 500 basketball team? And you better get them now because of a couple of years. Jay Gilgis, Alexander, and Josh Giddy, and when Chet Holmgren comes back from his injury, that's going to be a team that's going to be loaded to bear. The Clippers are starting to get healthy at the right time. The Lakers are never easy, even though I don't think they're going to be any kind of playoff team when it's all said and done, and you can't forget about Golden State. The Sacramento Kings are the third-best record in the Western Conference, so I'm not going to say that they're average in the Western Conference. It's just so competitively balanced. And you see the Eastern Conference has been able to catch up to the Western Conference, where they're top-heavy teams. You look at them as NBA contenders to win a championship, whether it's Boston, whether it's Philadelphia, Milwaukee. When Kevin Durant comes back to the Brooklyn Nets, he instantly makes them a championship favorite to get out of the Eastern Conference. So I won't say average in the Western Conference, and I understand that you may put that out there, Brady, because what we've seen in the past in the Western Conference, and we got the Pelicans and the Grizzlies and the Sacramento Kings at the top, and we don't see Golden State, we don't see the Clippers, we don't see the Lakers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But that does not mean it's an average conference in the Western Conference. There's still a lot of talented teams that if they get their way and be able to get through, they stand more than a puncher's chance of beating anybody in the Eastern Conference, whoever gets out of the West and gets to the NBA Finals. Freddie, are you in the camp of they don't play any defense in the NBA or the offensive profile of players has gotten so much better that you can't play defense in the NBA? More along the latter than the former because the rules have done for NBA basketball the same way the rules have helped out the quarterbacks and wide receivers in the NFL. It's almost impossible to play lockdown defense throughout 48 minutes when you're not allowed to grab and clutch and hand check and do all those things. They've legislated that out of the league. So the coaches and players have made the adjustment saying, well, if they're going to allow us to do this, then we're really going to be offensively, not offensively challenged anymore. The days of 90 to 85 basketball games, even 195 basketball games, they may be a thing of the past. They've gone the way to the dinosaur in the, in the disco era when it comes to the NBA because the rules have legislated it that way. So it's almost impossible now to say, okay, we're going to be locked down defenders on defense. You can lock in on defense, but the rules help, and the players are so skilled now that it's almost impossible to look at a team and say, we're going to completely shut that team down. You're hoping that you can keep a team shooting below 42% and below 45% the three-point line. If you're able to do those kind of things, then you give yourself more than a chance to win those games if you're not offensively challenged at the other end. Freddie Coleman, ESPN Radio, Freddie and Fitzsimmons. Snowy night tonight. We're going to post up and watch UVM and Binghamton here in a little while. Who would have thought that we'd be talking about a uh, UVM and Binghamton matchup that is for first place here on January 25th? But what a world. So here we are. So, yeah. Freddie, enjoy it. Yeah, I certainly will. My friend, <laughs> in conference basketball, anything can happen, no matter if it's a mid-major or high-major, my friend. Well, Freddie, we look forward to watching tonight. Look forward to talking with you in seven days. Sounds good, brother. Take care, and you be well.